The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and making her stand before the people, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test Jesus, so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When the scribes and Pharisees kept on questioning him, Jesus straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground, when the scribes and Pharisees heard what Jesus had said, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone, with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go on your way, and from now on, do not sin again. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the most intimidating and perhaps scary feelings that we can have is the feeling of being entrapped or surrounded or circled, whether that be physically mentally or spiritually, especially when we have no visible way of seeing a pathway out of that feeling trapped. If there's no exit or no kind of pathway forward, in those moments our emotions cloud our the voice of reason, we make bad decisions, and can even fall into deep discouragement and despair. This is in a sense a description of some of the emotions that we felt for some time between the Catholic Church in Canada's relationship with our Indigenous people, them feeling trapped in the hurt and the trauma of the residential schools from years of being away from their family and their culture and different sources of abuse at times being committed by various members and leaders of the church and appearing no pathway forward in kind of that hurt and pain and abuse that was experienced. On the church's part, we ourselves feeling trapped in our shame, our guilt, our wondering how could this happen because that is not part of the gospel message of Jesus and all of those questions and shame and guilt as well that we've been carrying. And then this past week with Pope Francis's apology to the Canada's indigenous people, a door has been opened, a pathway forward from this feeling of being entrapped in the past and kind of the trauma or the shame or the guilt getting the best of us. Because when we invite God into any situation, as harmful and as unjust and as sinful as it might be, there's always going to be a door that opens up. It's never a closed circle completely. There's always going to be light that comes through and directing us in a pathway forward. 
as we know, there's a lot of work and dialogue and reconciliation and reparation and understanding of what went on between the church in Canada and the indigenous people, but certainly a big step forward and a new door that wasn't open before occurred this past week. In a completely different kind of scenario, a different time period and a different series of events, we have on this fifth Sunday of Lent, the gospel passage of the woman trapped in adultery. Another different situation, completely different from what we've experienced this past week, but one that teaches us in the same way of God's power to heal and to create new beginnings in our life. This woman here was trapped in the very act of adultery. And whenever there's certain details that we would seem that would be obviously needed for us to understand better this passage in John's gospel, whenever we read the Bible and we were like, well, something just doesn't sit right. There should be some more details here to help us really make sense of this story. That often means that the gospel writer has intentionally withheld the details so that we don't get just trapped in the literal sense of the passage of this woman trapped in adultery and her needing of healing, but also to see the spiritual level behind it as well. John's gospel is filled with these kind of two-dimension gospel passages. The symbol for the gospel of John is the eagle. So he's always trying to have us soar up to a different perspective and height upon the passage that he's presenting. So some of the details missing here that should be in is that, yes, the law of Moses for breaking any of the Ten Commandments told the people to put the person to death for committing or breaking any of those Ten Commandments, adultery being the sixth out of the Ten Commandments. But it was also for the man involved, and the man is not present here in the gospel, which people would have wondered immediately why that would be. Both were to be punished with the same punishment, not just the woman. The second missing important detail that people would have noticed immediately at the time of Jesus experiencing all of this unfold is that it's taking place in the temple. Now, the temple was for people who were just under suspicion of breaking one of the Ten Commandments. If there was suspicion of them breaking the Ten Commandments, then they'd be brought to the temple priests and the scribes and Pharisees for interrogation and a judgment. Now, there's no suspicion here because this man and woman had been caught in the very act of adultery. So already the scribes and Pharisees are setting up a false situation based on injustices already of not bringing the man and already using now this woman to trap Jesus. This woman who's been trapped and now trying to trap Jesus in a test. That if he says, no, let her go, he violates Moses and the Mosaic law that was in place. If he says yes, and she should be condemned to stoning, he goes against the Roman law, which forbade any Jewish person to make that kind of sentence. It was reserved for Pontius Pilate alone. And that's why Jesus was brought before Pontius Pilate on Good Friday. And so they're trying to trap Jesus and using this woman in her humiliation and in her sin and in her shame and guilt that she's carrying to trap Jesus. But one thing we know when we read our scriptures Nobody traps Jesus. He'll get through, and he'll find a way with his divine mercy to break through whatever kind of conniving schemes any of us can think of in our human mind and in our understanding. So Jesus comes on the scene, so now this spiritual level comes out of the story. This woman, because she's alone, doesn't just represent somebody caught in sin. She's representing the whole people of the Old Testament. All of Israel is embodied in this woman 
Because in the Old Testament, adultery was also used to refer to spiritual infidelity. When people worshiped false gods and turned away from the one true God and the love that he gave and care that he gave to the people, setting them free from Egypt, the scriptures refer to that as adultery of infidelity to the covenant with God. And so now Israel, who's been unfaithful to the Lord, is going to be healed, forgiven, and restored by Jesus, God himself, coming in the flesh. And Jesus is the new temple. Because the temple was supposed to be the place where people received forgiveness of their sins, atonement, mercy, because they would offer sacrifice there. But over the years, the glory of God left the temple since the time of the prophet Ezekiel. And the temple was now a place of kind of a marketplace of trade dealing. And its focus and its meaning and purpose of mercy, forgiveness, restoration, and worship had been lost. We hear Jesus about cleansing the temple, right? When he makes that whip of cords and cleanses the temple in front of the entrance of the temple gate. Well, now Jesus restores the true meaning because he's now the true temple. He is the presence of God in the people's midst. And by the woman coming to him and him breaking that circle that's entrapped the woman, he is now going to extend that mercy and restoration of her life, the true intention and purpose of the temple that he had walked into that day. But as he breaks through this circle of condemnation and of accusations of the scribes and Pharisees, as we follow now the literal meaning of the story, Jesus does something quite interesting. Twice, he bends down and writes in the sand. This is the only time Jesus writes anything in the four Gospels, and we're not told what he wrote. St. Jerome, St. Augustine say that he wrote the sins of the scribes and Pharisees right in the sand. And as they saw their sins being written right before their feet, they started walking away, realizing their own guilt and shame. That's one hypothesis or conjecture from the church fathers. We don't know for sure. But what Jesus did there is that he created an environment of silence around all of the finger pointing and condemnation and judgments from her accusers. Jesus breaks through and creates silence. And what does silence naturally do? It causes us to reflect on ourselves, right? Faces our own sins, our own fragility, our own failures in life. It causes us to reflect on where is our heart in that moment. And that's just at a very basic natural level what Jesus is doing. And by going down into the earth, it's like he's creating this woman anew. Just how Adam was formed out of the dust of the earth by going and writing with the finger of God as if a new creation is about to happen for this woman who is caught in her sin and in her shame and trapped and encircled by it. But by going down and rising up twice, Jesus will do this again at the Last Supper when he washes the disciples' feet. The main reason for this kind of prophetic action is to show that by him laying down his life, by taking on kind of the fragility of our humanity, our sins, the dust of who we are, unto dust and dust we shall return, as we hear on Ash Wednesday, Jesus then raises up our humanity, lowers himself, and picks us up in his resurrection. A symbolic action of what will take place during Holy Week when Jesus lays down his life for us on the cross and and is raised up on the third day and given new life. Why then does the church choose to give this gospel to us on the fifth Sunday of Lent? There's a great purpose indeed for it being presented at this time because this reading has been read at this time in Lent for over 1,500 years. It's pretty impressive. The reason being at this time is in our own parish community and all throughout the world, 
adults are being prepared to be received in baptism, confirmation, and first communion at the Easter vigil. Many adults are being prepared for this, and one of the temptations of the enemy when somebody is coming to Christ in their life and into faith is the sins of their past life, things that they've done wrong, hurts or injustices, and sometimes those adults, those catechumens, we call them journeying towards faith and the sacraments at Easter, may start wondering to themselves, am I really worthy to receive the great grace of God's life in my heart and soul? I've done this, or I've done that in my past, or this or that has happened, and or this big sin I have committed, or I'm trapped in this cycle of sin in my past and can't get out. Can it really be washed away in the waters of baptism? Can it really be forgiven in the sacrament of confession? And the church places this gospel right into the middle of all of those doubts, discouragement, and discouraging questions, and says, yes, they can. Jesus shows us. He heals the woman and says, go and sin no more. You are no longer entrapped or encircled by your past sins. You are set free. I have liberated you, but go and sin no more. You're no longer entrapped by your past, but beware of the future. Be on guard. Temptation will come. Jesus always meets us where we're at, but he never leaves us in our sin. He never approves of sin. He knew how wrong adultery was and how it breaks marriages and harms families and hurts everybody involved. He doesn't approve of that, but he meets her where she is, places his unconditional love and mercy there, and then advances with her along the paths of faith. The same message then is given to us who have been baptized for many years, perhaps, that we are no longer entrapped by our sins, by our past mistakes or poor decisions, by injustices that were inflicted upon us or that were done in the church and her history or done in the world. Christ has the power to set us free. And that is what he wants to do to us again, each and every one of us, this Holy Week.